The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast hosted by yours truly pete ball and as always my co-host chad young we're gonna cover everything keeper leagues ot new you know the deal by now chad it's episode 31 this is our mike piazza our greg maddox or my preference our john lester episode putting john lester in the same category as maddox and piazza's <laughs> i don't think that's gonna work for me <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get the boston fan i i, I totally hear you but uh, yeah, Maddox. Maddox would be the one for me if we're going to... We should start doing this every episode. Talk about player with that number. Sure. Maddox would be a good one. It's not my strong suit. I wish, you know, I, I hope it came across as like, wow, Pete really knows numbers really well, but I had to look it up. I think my favorite actually is basketball. It's Well, not my favorite because John Lester is always my favorite, but Reggie Miller, number 31. Yeah, Reggie, some great, some great moments from Reggie. It's, it's just a nice one because neither of us are New Yorkers. And so we can both enjoy Reggie Miller. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, there's there's uh, there was more number 31s than I thought there were going to be. I think that's that's a fair way of looking at it. But it is, it's episode 31. And we've got a couple of, I mean, the, the season's winding down, right? And so obviously our fantasy analysis and, and, and all other podcasts are really focusing on the winding down of seasons. But Chad, for us, it's different because we're talking keeper leagues and as keeper leagues wind down, things are different than in redraft. Yeah, because things aren't winding down. Like it, it, the season is winding down. And if you're competing, you're, you're winding down. But like, I mean, look, playing auto new, as long as I've been playing auto new, that, that goes year round, right? You're going to, we're going to finish the season. You're going to have arbitration coming up and then trade opens up again. And you got a keeper deadline coming and, uh, there's no winding down. Just, just keep going. It's so true. It's so true. Now, uh, let me get your thoughts on this because I, so I brought up this league in the past, right? I'm the commissioner for a 16 team. It's only three keepers. All right. So it's really shallow. And once our playoffs begin, I have a rule in place. It's called the sunny gray rule. And I can talk about that if we want. I can just throw that out there, though, that it's called the sunny gray rule. And basically, if you are no longer in playoff contention, because our, our consolation ladder is is for nothing. It has no bearing on draft picks. We are not a money league. It, it's nothing. If you're not in the playoffs, you cannot add a player or drop a player unless you are adding a player who has who still has rookie status or 
you are activating a player off of the IL, so you need to drop another player. Otherwise, you cannot make any transactions. Thoughts on that? So my my non-auto-new keeper league that I've been in the longest, it's on, uh, we run it through CBS. It's The commissioner's a guy I know from college. A couple of their college buddies are in it. A few other people. Um, has a similar rule. So our playoffs just started last week. Rosters are locked for anyone who's not in the playoffs. And that league, we keep 14. So there are real reasons for people to want to be active. And so the the trade-off in order to keep the playoffs pure, let's say, in order to make sure that the you know, teams in the playoffs could do that is rosters lock at the end of the regular season and anybody picked up in the playoffs cannot be kept. So... If I go out right now, like as an example, here's actually a great example. I picked up Joe Ryan uh, before uh, on September 6th. So before his most recent start, but after his first start, um, very, very happy with him. If I had picked him up two weeks ago, he could easily be in my 14 keepers. He's cheap. And this is sort of a, it, it's not quite auto new, but it's this, there is a salary structure like that. And so inexpensive young pitching super valuable and you want to be able to keep it forever. But Ryan's not eligible to be kept because I picked him up during the playoffs. And so I I will not be able to keep him. To make matters even, I don't know, worse, harder, harsher, the players you drop during the playoffs, you drop them and they're off your team. And so in order to pick him up, I dropped Logan Gilbert who had been struggling. And it was, I, I still really like Gilbert long-term but I needed somebody who could help me now. I thought Ryan could do better for me. He has. That play has worked out very well for me. And if I continue in the playoffs, I think I'll be very happy I made that change. But I can't keep Ryan because I picked him up too late. And now I can't keep Gilbert because I dropped him. And so what's interesting about that is it creates a little bit of a... I don't know if disadvantage is the right word. Um, but there's a little bit of a like long-term punishment for making the playoffs because you're giving up guys in order to compete. But I actually really like that rule because what it means is you pay a little premium, right? You, you make the playoffs, you're going to give up some future value probably. You're going to have to drop some guys in order to find a streamer here and there to put you over the top in your matchup or whatever else. And that makes it that much easier for the teams that miss the playoffs to rebuild because they're not doing that, right? And they get, they get the month of August basically to try to jockey for draft position um, and set their team up for the future. And make they can make those kinds of changes then and, and try to get themselves ready. And then in September, you know, now I'm I'm playing for now. I'm playing for a title and there's there's money on the line in this one. So I want that title. Uh and that's you know, I'm gonna give up some future value for that and it'll it'll create a little bit of extra parity going into next season because I'll 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 weaken my keepers during the playoffs without a doubt. I really like that rule. I mean it's that league I'm gonna guess has been around for a while because you only get quirky, interesting rules like this once a league has really ironed out all the kinks. But I do have two questions. So yeah. just to be clear, you're you're obviously in the playoffs. That's why you're you're dropping Logan Gilbert and you're adding Joe Ryan. But so are the teams that are not in the playoffs, are they barred from making moves? Yeah, they can't do anything. They can't pick anyone up. They can't drop anyone. Their rosters are completely locked. Got it. And now you can't keep Gilbert, but hypothetically, like let's say 
next week and i'm making this up i have no idea who gilbert's opponents are gilbert's still on waivers and you see he's facing the tigers can you add him for that start and just not keep him or can you just not add him again so there is this league similar to auto new where in auto new there's the 30 day waiting period when you drop someone this league has a 21 day waiting oh, period. so he's gone so he is i i could i don't know i'm trying to think of how they close the season it is possible that I could pick him up for his final start as a streamer. Basically mm-hmm. I could get him for that one start. He would, I still couldn't keep him, but yeah, for the most part, he's gone. And at this point now, I mean, you know, 21 days from now, there's probably not a real opportunity. We do, we do effectively, we do fab, although it's not fab because you're using your budget the way you would sort of an auto new. Um, we do it on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so I'm not sure. Like if I drop someone today, I'm not sure there will be an opportunity to pick that player up. And so like, there's a chance I'll have some tough calls to make because I've got Willie Adamas and Brandon Nimmo on my IL in that league, uh, along with Lance Lynn. And, you know, if if Lynn comes back, uh, you know, looking at my pitching, um, this is the league where I traded away Mookie Betts, and part of my return for Betts was the $35 Aaron Nola. Mm-hmm. And maybe I end up dropping him because he has not turned it around the way I thought. No. Maybe I drop Ryan because I can't keep him anyways, and so I'll get Lynn back and drop Ryan, so be it. Uh, I've got one. I picked up Yu Chang literally just because he had a game yesterday, and I wanted a guy who was playing Thursday instead of leaving an open spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for Adamas or Nimmo, whatever Chang can go, he probably won't be on my team after Sunday anyways. But if they both come back, the rest of my bats are all guys I kind of at least could consider keeping except for a very expensive Freddie Freeman. I have a $53 Freddie Freeman, and he's the only guy among my bats that is obviously not a keeper for me just because of his price. And I'm not dropping him in the middle of the playoffs. So... Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I'm going to have some tough decisions to make about, you know, I don't know. I'm looking now, like I have Jonathan VR who I picked up recently. We talked about him last week is like, it seems like VR is winning leagues Every all year. the time in, in September. Yep. Uh, and so I'm hoping he does that for me. He is, he's doing quite well for me right now. I don't know if he's a keeper. Uh, he's three bucks. So maybe he is, but who knows if he's going to have a job and where he's going to land. And he's, Unless next season starts in August, then VR has no value. But when August rolls around, get him on your roster. Yeah. But then okay, guys, like, I've got a $5 Will Myers. And it feels like Will Myers has been down this year. But by CBS's rankings, he's 138th. I think he's been turning a bit of a corner lately, too. Yeah. yeah. And so he's been, he's been great for me. On the other hand, I got Trent Grisham at $3, who was just an absolute stud to start the season and has really struggled lately. And so, you know, if I need to drop someone... Do I drop one of them? Maybe. I don't really want to. Right. But we'll have to figure it out. Uh, Adamus and Nimmo are potential keepers for me as well. Although Nimmo, it's an on-base league. And so he has some value. But That's a lot of value. I love Nimmo in on-base leagues. I got him in an OPS dynasty. But interesting. Yeah, I love love when keeper leagues kind of force guys to make difficult decisions like that. And I guess a, a note to kind of end this conversation on is if you are out of contention and you have the ability to add and draw players. I, like don't go doing something that's going to impact the the playoff race. Unless I like, if there's money on the line, that's totally different, man. Cause, cause as far as I'm concerned, you're still in the race. You might not be in the race for a league title, but you're in the race for some money. But 
the Sonny Gray rule comes from years ago when Gray was on Oakland. I, I was in the championship against another another player who was ahead of me in the waiver order, and some guy who hadn't made any moves all playoffs and was out of contention just dropped Sonny Gray. My opponent picked him up, and he was literally the reason why he beat me. Anyway, that that set me off. But like according to my my own rules in this league, I'm currently out of the playoffs, and um, Josh Lowe got called up, and. I thought, okay, like there is a tiny chance that all of a sudden Josh Lowe rattles off 11 homers in, you know, 30 games and gets eight steals. And it's like, wait a second, should I keep this guy? So I added him, but who did I drop? I dropped Michael Lorenzen. I'm not, I'm not going to impact the playoff race in any way as long as I don't have to. Um, and I think that's obviously good sportsmanship and, and it should be the approach of, of anybody. It's harder in those like keep three, keep four. It's like in an auto new league where you can keep everybody. Uh, you're not going to drop a stud player right now, most likely, because you're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to hand him off to someone in the playoffs who is going to run with him, which you can, you know, whatever. But you're also potentially giving that person a keeper and giving up, like, even if you think, you know, you got a guy who's at 30, 40 bucks and you think he's a value at 25 instead of 40. Well, if you cut him and somebody gets him at 22, 23, you, you've you've given them long term value, give them short like, yeah. You're just not going to do that as much. And so, like in auto new leagues, it's it's open season. You're out of the playoffs. You can still make moves. Um, but most of what I've seen is people aren't dropping guys who are going to change the game in the playoffs just because they don't want to. They want to keep those guys, right? And to be fair, because auto new is such its own unique beast, like I could see instances where. Like I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, I don't have a need to. But like, I have a thirty-six dollar Francisco Lindor. If I was up against the cap, and I saw like, all right, I want to add these three prospects because I think they're they're keep they could be keeper worthy for me. Like, I feel like that's a move that should be accepted. But in leagues where you can avoid it, I, I would definitely definitely avoid it. So I'll tell you in our in our auto new league, I'm in the playoffs. Uh, I had a very very bad start to the week. I am desperately trying to claw back in. If it doesn't happen, I have a list of guys I want to pick up. That I, I'm going to make some moves short term that I think might, you know, th- there's some moves I may make short term to try to help me win. But if I don't get through the playoffs, I've got I've got parts I don't need. I have seven relievers right now. I'm not going to keep seven relievers. So I've got relievers I will cut to add youth if I get eliminated. I think it's totally fair game. Yeah, uh, that has to be absolutely 100% fair game and definitely, definitely worth clarifying. And that's the focus of this this episode as we as we close in on the playoffs here. It's really kind of twofold. We've got just a couple of weeks left, right? So what are you doing in these final two weeks, wherever you are on the standings? I think that that's something to, to definitely identify. Probably most people are obviously either in the playoffs or out of the playoffs at this point. Your playoffs are going on unless you're in a rotisserie league. So what are you doing? Um and then really streaming starting pitcher for the stretch run. Like that's this is the most important time most of the year. You know, I'm thinking quality of opponent is not as important as are you a good pitcher. But at this point, it's such slim pickings that like quality of opponent to me all of a sudden takes precedent. That like I you know what? If you're going up against Minnesota, I, I'm gonna roll you out there and just hope you pitch well if I need it. Ideally, you're you don't need stream starting pitchers at this point. So let's start with that first topic, Chad. You know, what's going on in the standings? How is that impacting what it is you're going to do with your team? And let's start with teams that are contending. You're in the playoffs. Maybe you're, I mean, at this point with two weeks left, you're, you're closing in on hopefully the, the championship series. What are you, what are your considerations in a keeper league? Are there any, or is it just go for the title? 
So the, there are there are some, but they're limited. Because <laughs> in general, I'm just I'm just going for the championship. And like I said, if I have to give up a, a you know a guy I thought could be a long term value in Logan Gilbert to get a guy who helps me now, I'm going to do that. I am entirely focused in those leagues on trying to win right now. Future value can be sort of put aside. It's a tiebreaker, right? If I'm deciding between two guys and like, if I need a streaming starting pitcher and uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about some of this later, but like when we talk about streaming starting pitchers, if I'm deciding between two guys and I think one of them might prove to be a keeper, then I'll favor the guy who might prove to be a keeper. Why not? Right. There, there's no reason not to do that. But if I'm looking at those two guys and I'm like, man, this guy is a good pitcher with a great matchup in a pitcher friendly park. And this other guy has more keeper value, but it's a rough matchup. And it, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. Got, got, if I'm deciding between a guy who is at Texas and a guy who is uh, at let's say San Diego or the Dodgers or the Yankees or something. Let's use the Yankees. I'm deciding between a guy going at Texas or a guy going at Yankee Stadium. It doesn't matter how good a keeper the guy going at Yankee Stadium is. I'm going to take the guy who's going at Texas right now because I'm just going to take that matchup. I'm going to bank those points and I'm going to try to get myself a championship this year and worry about the fact that I don't have that keeper pitcher in, in the off season. Like, you know, that that's that's my take on it. I'm 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 all in. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I I think especially with these these players who are on the fringes, right? Like you're not you're not out there dropping. I, I don't know Chris Sale because he's going to go against the Yankees. You're definitely holding on to him. But if it's if it's Tyler McGill versus Joe Ryan, you know what? Joe Ryan until tonight has definitely looked better than McGill recently. But you know what? You're probably going to go with McGill because. He's got the better matchup and you'll worry about who's the better long-term keeper at another time when it's when it's relevant. But there's there's not much more to be said here, right? I mean, if you're in contention, you're going for a championship, like go go get the chance. This is why we play. Go get it, man, and, and worry about all that stuff later. 100%. If you're, 100%. If you're competing for a championship as well, chances are you've got a core on your team that like you're probably going to be okay next year anyway. Like you're competing for a championship. How bad can it be if you're cutting guys in the fringes? So Or even guys a little bit further up. But what about now let's talk about the the teams that have more difficult decisions. You've got your your in-betweeners, and there probably aren't too many of those left, except in rotisserie leagues. And then you guys who are completely out of it. Um, you know, we, we talked about the out of it, the different, at least the different rules that, that guys can face. But in terms of what your mindset is, if you're completely out of contention, what are you doing around this time of the year? So I'm starting to look at, in some ways, similar players to what I would look at earlier in the season. Guys who are getting hot right now, who are doing things I didn't expect, but I'm looking at it from a perspective of, do I think this guy might make it onto my keeper list for next year rather than do I think that this hot streak is worth riding? So I'll give you a, a good example of that. or I think a good example of that. Uh, Frank Schwindel with the, the Cubs is just absolutely destroying the baseball. Uh, this isn't true anymore, but I noticed it yesterday. As of the end of games on Thursday the 9th, end of games, maybe the beginning of games, maybe before games on Thursday, the ninth, he had a 161 WRC plus in 161 plate appearances. And I was like, uh, I, I like that symmetry there. Like it's not very often does a guy get 160 plate appearances into the season and have a WRC plus <laughs> that matches his plate appearances. But 
regardless. Uh, in leagues where I'm competing, I'm happy to grab him and ride that hot streak. In leagues where I'm not competing, I don't care about the hot streak. What I care about is, do I think it's sustainable? Do I think this guy is going to be the Cubs first baseman next year? And that, and then what do I think is going to, where do I think he's going to end up in the off season, right? So like that could mean, I think he's going to play his way into my plans for 2022. And so I'm willing to pick him up because I might keep him. It also could mean I think he's going to play his way into trade value in the offseason. And so I may pick him up to try to trade him in December or something like that. But if he, if he, if you got a guy who's just like riding a high BAPIP, clearly isn't going to sustain it, like that's fine to ride as a hot streak in the playoffs and see if you can't get some juice out of it. But if I'm competing for next year, like that's where my focus is. I'm not grabbing that player. I want to focus on players who might have value to me in the offseason. Yeah. It, that that's a good way to look at it. I mean, I, I always find offseason trades to be quite difficult, regardless of of the keeper format. When you can say to someone like, hey, let's do a two for one in the middle of the season, assuming you're the team that's out of it getting the one, they're going to be more inclined to trade you that, you know, injured Ronald Acuna to use a really extreme example for two pieces that are going to help them. Obviously, as opposed to in the offseason when they could just draft that help and keep that player. But at the end of the day, there's, you're limited in your options and what you can do. So as long as you're setting yourself up to be flexible in the future, you know, I, I kind of like that as well. I mean, I, in a way I did that, right? Like I've been out of our, our new league for quite a while, but I threw a dollar bid on Patrick Wisdom. I don't know if it's going to help me at all, but he's been pretty awesome for me, you know, over the last month and a half. So Schwindel, Wisdom, you would think that team's record is much better than it is, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in our league, I mean, one of the things I like to do in auto new leagues if I'm out of it is try to identify inexpensive players that I can add right now who I think an over like a team that has just way too much money on their cap will be interested in acquiring in the off season. Because if I look and I'm trying to see in our league, if there's anyone who's really in this position, I'm not sure there is anyone. Um, there's a couple of teams. There's a team that Joe Musgrove on. And my team, the Avon Old Farms Wing Beavers, are both over $400 in base salaries right now, even before cap penalties and stuff. We're going to get hit with arbitration and all that stuff. Like, I'm going to have to shed salary in the offseason in this league. And so some of that will be easy. I've got a $47 Christian Yelich, which see you later. But I've also got like a $31 Corey Seager, a He'll a $39 Giancarlo Stanton. Like I've got a couple of guys who are going to be expensive, who are going to be potentially difficult decisions about whether I want to keep them or cut them. And if somebody picks up Schwindel and Schwindel continues to be on fire and we get to December and the Cubs are committing to him as their first baseman, would I trade Stanton for Schwindel in order to clear some salary? I don't know. I have to, I haven't looked at Schwindel that closely. I keep bringing him up. Like I've, got deep thoughts on him, but I, I need to actually dig in and, and see. It's a home run every day. He does. Seems that way. Like that kind of trade happens in the offseason in of auto new leagues because people have to find ways to clear salary. And at some point, if I think I'm going to be stuck cutting him, if I'm if I'm going to be stuck cutting Stanton anyways, maybe I would deal him first, Wendell. And maybe for a team that's been out of it this year and doesn't have a lot of salary on the books and is going to have plenty of cap space going into the auction, making that kind of a deal and having Stanton locked up could be worth it. So I like to find those guys. That's what I was talking about. Those, those December trades. If I can find a guy who's having a breakout in August and September, 
even if I don't believe it, even if I don't think that they're going to be sustaining it, if I think other people will think that, right? And, and I think you have to be like, I think one thing you have to do is you have to be realistic about it, right? You can't just assume that other people are stupid. Sometimes people do that. Sometimes guys are like, oh, I picked up this guy and I'm going to trade him to you. He's been, you know, he's got a 430 on base percentage. You're like, yeah, but he's got a 520 BAPIT. Like, I'm not an idiot. I can see that. 18 plate appearances. Um, (laughs) Right. So, like, you've got to, like, you can't assume other people are stupid. But what you can do is look around and see, you know, at some point this offseason, we're going to get analysis on Schwindel that says that it's legit, that he really can do what he's capable of. And we're going to get analysis on it that says, this isn't real. He's never shown anything like this before. And here's why I don't think it's going to hold up. If you start to see that, you know, if if Fangraphs is telling you that he's going to fall apart and Pitcherlist is telling you he's a stud, then you've got a guy that if you're not into him, you can trade him. If if all the analysis out there is this guy is no good, you can't be like, ah, I also know he's no good. Let me see if I can pawn him off on somebody. Because like, I mean, no, no, maybe maybe in your leagues you can do that. In my leagues, that doesn't work. I've never found a situation where that works. So. But I like these guys who there's something that looks sustainable, even if I'm not sure I believe it. Take him for now. And if it turns out that in a couple months, everyone's like, Psh, that guy's nothing, then I cut him. So be it. Who cares? But if there's mixed opinions on him, then maybe I can get some value for him, even if I'm not a fan. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I think the offseason analysis does obviously play a lot into it. But I mean, just finishing the season as hot as Schwindel is, you know, you might be able to get get some kind of pull for him. And I think that comes back down to like the uniqueness, particularly of Otten U and, 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 and salary leagues in general, right? Where Stanton for Schwindel could end up being just a slam dunk win for the team that gets Schwindel, even if Stanton ends up outperforming him. I will say I'm probably going to be one of those teams looking to acquire. I don't have a whole lot of interest in Stanton specifically. It's kind of besides the point. I've got contracts coming off the books. I have the $1 Wisdom, a $1 Yuli Gurriel, a $1 Joe Ryan, so on and so forth. Like Now I have opportunities to explore that I wouldn't have otherwise had if I wasn't taking these shots in the dark. So I'll be coming after that, Joe Ryan. <laughs> I'm just telling well, you. Well, you called him, man. I, I was holding out hope my man Jordan Belazovic would get called up, and I ended up rostering both um, Ryan and and Belazovic. And I, Ryan has looked just awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's pretty pretty sweet trade for them. So, uh, well, Nelson Cruz is just bashing the Red Sox into oblivion, but uh, otherwise, pretty sweet trade. What about those teams, Chad? That are that are kind of on the fr- like. Let's say you know, there's it's not a money league. You're right now in third place. You're like eight to 10 points back in your rotisserie league. What are you looking to do? That that hit close to home because in Auto New League One, the original Auto New League, I am in third place and I am like, I think I'm actually more than eight to 10 points back. I think I'm more like 15 points back, but we'll leave that aside. That's not the point. The point is that I'm in third place. That actually is a money league. We pay out the top four spots. Um, there's real value to me staying in that top three. But in addition to being pretty far back from second, I have like a five, four, five, six point lead, something like that on the fourth place team. And the fifth place team is another few points behind that. And so I am st- I am in it very much in this in between where like I could use some help to make sure I hold on to third place and get the, the payday that comes with that. Um, but I'm not going to catch second. And... You know, third place is 
great and all, but it's not a championship. And so I also want to get myself set up for next year. I am just now starting to flip the switch, I think, towards future value in that league. Uh, and part of that is outside my control. It was, it was pushed on me. So the team that is in first uh, had acquired right at the trade deadline a no, not even right at the trade deadline. Back in May, now that I realize it, in May, they acquired a $75 Mike Trout in a pretty sizable deal. They got a $75 Mike Trout, a $45 Anthony Rendon. Obviously, those did not work out well for them. Uh, and a $5 Liam Hendricks gave up Jeff McNeil, Waskar, you know, uh, DL Hall, and George Kirby. A lot to give up for not a lot of value back, unfortunately, the way that worked out for them. But he just cut Trout at 75 bucks, And so I actually have the most cap room in that league. So now I am, I'm going to go get Trout, I think. I'm going to at least try to, and it's going to cost me a lot, and it's going to mean making cuts, and it's going to hurt my chances this year a little bit. But I think it's a worthwhile trade-off. I think I can hold on to third place this late in the season, despite potentially giving up some pieces I really need. And the possibility of acquiring Mike Trout at, boy, I don't know. We'll have to see what price he goes for. The minimum bid on it is $38. I bet he goes for something in the 60s. I don't know, something like that. But that's still a pretty good price on Trout in that league. And so it's worth it. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to make the cuts I need to make and hope it doesn't cost me third place. But I think you have to make that decision at some point and just say like, look, you know, if I were in third place and I were two points out of second, I might not be doing this. I might be just committing fully to getting myself over the top and getting into those top two. But you got to make a decision one way or the other. Because if you try to sit in between, it it doesn't work, right? It, it It's really hard to balance that. I think you can balance a little bit. I've been trying to do that for a while. I think if if I start to look at some of my most recent transactions in that league, I've I've sort of played the middle a bit. Um, you know, I finally bailed on Eugenio Suarez because he just hasn't been doing anything for me, and picked up Josh Harrison, who I don't think is necessarily a long term keeper for me, but whatever. Um, I also picked up recently uh, Rowdy Tellez in the hopes that he'll like really hit hit well down the stretch and prove that he could be a keeper. And if you look at my watch list on that league, there's a bunch of youth on there. There's some prospects. There's some uh, up and coming young players that I think could be keepers for me potentially. And that's going to be my next round of moves, I think. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, but I tried to balance it for a little bit. And what ended up happening was I didn't really make my team that much better for the future. And I didn't make up any ground on the top two teams. And so now it's time to just make that call. And I've decided that I'm going to, I think what I've decided is that I'm going to go after the future value. And if I, you know, but I don't know, bid 60, 70 bucks, whatever it is on trout. And if I get them for a good price and can use that to kickstart a, it's not even a rebuild. I'm going to finish third this year. It's not bad. But if I can use that to kickstart a climb to the top, great. Uh, and if not, I'll go get some less expensive, interesting upside players. Yeah, I think I think players as, as elite as Trout, they help make that decision a lot easier. 
right? I mean, uh, playing the fence and, and and just not peeing or getting off the proverbial pot, I, it, like you said, it really only works against you and ends up you end up accomplishing really neither goal. I found myself about a month ago, you know, going back to to kind of how elite players make this decision easier. My favorite league, like I, I had a in my mind, I had an absolutely great roster, and I did. Like if it was a rotisserie league at the time, I would have been much higher, but it was head to head. I ran into some bad luck, some bad luck injuries, so on and so forth. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. became available to me, but I basically would have had to have punted on the season. Normally, I'm going to go for it. Like, I, like I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I don't really want Vlad. And it was hard for me to do it. Even that I'm going to acquire some pieces and, and let's try to make a run here. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. is so good. Mike Trout is so good. That if you can get a piece like this in a year where you're not even really sure if you're that much of a contender, I think you got to go do it. I ended up giving up. I mean, I told you at the time, it was like Scherzer, Giolito, and Altuve for Vlad and a pick. So it was an absolute monster haul. And that team I traded him to is still in contention there in the final four of a 16-team league that might win the title. Kind of shows that it goes both ways. But now I've got Vlad for as long as I want him. So to me, it was it was absolutely worth it. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, th- those elite guys are so... They're so rare, and so when they when you got a shot to grab them, sometimes it just forces your hand to make a decision that hey, it's it's time to go. Uh, and I, you know, I've found when I'm you can use that when you're competing too, because if you're competing and you see a team that's got the pieces to put you over the top, sometimes you can just dangle the right name and just be like, "Look, I want to win this year, and to win this year, I will give you Vlad if you basically give me the title." And this is what it costs. Uh, and sometimes you can you can make that happen. So I'm with you, though. I think when it when it comes up and you have a chance to grab a guy like that, it does. It forces you to make a decision about, can I get back into this? Am I really going to be able to make a run at this? Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe I can make a run at second here, but uh, probably not. And so if I have to give up my shot at second to get Trout, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 make that decision a lot easier for sure so we've talked about in contention what are you doing there's not that many options you just you you go for it you kind of ignore the keeper situation for the most part you know if you're out of it those guys those elite guys make the decision a lot easier but otherwise you're you're building for the future in between i think is a tough spot at this point again i think most people aren't really in between you're you're unless you're in a rotisserie league but there are definitely moves you can make i think both Chad and I kind of concluded, though, you got to you got at this point, two weeks to go, two and a half weeks to go, whatever it is, you really got to commit one way or another. So let's help out those teams, though, that are still in it. And we briefly talked about pitcher streams. So we've compiled quite a list here of names of pitchers that could be added over the last two weeks here that, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I got a couple of these guys on a few of my rosters. And I'm noticing a common denominator here, and I'm sure you're noticing the same thing. And the, and the big thing here is matchups. So let's dive right in, Chad. Who's one of these names here that you came up with that you feel pretty passionately about is going to help fantasy players? And all these guys, by the way, are not owned in a lot of leagues. We, we put up the, the roster percentages there. But who's one that you definitely think this guy is going to help players down the stretch these final two weeks? Yeah, so I'm going to go with uh, a guy who I was... I was watching pretty closely tonight. So we're recording this on Friday, September 10th. And Marco Gonzalez has started tonight. He's been on a pretty solid stretch, really dating back to like the beginning of August. And his last two starts were not good. And they were against Arizona and Kansas City. 
and he's got Arizona tonight, and then he's got Kansas City coming up again. And so it was like, oh man, he's been pitching well, but tonight uh, he is through six innings. He's only got three strikeouts because he's Marco Gonzalez, and he's not going to get you a lot of strikeouts, and that is not what he's here for. But three runs all unearned. So he's given up zero earned runs. He's only walked one. He's only given up four hits. So he's got a whip under one, an ERA of zero. He got you those three strikeouts. He is currently in line for the win. But if you're and if you're in a quality start league, he's already locked up that quality start. Uh, the other thing that Gonzalez is super valuable with is tonight he was a little bit inefficient. He's gone 101 pitches into the sixth inning, but because he doesn't walk guys and because he doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, he usually goes deep into games, which means he can get those quality starts. The Mariners are playing well, so he can get wins when they're playing against bad opponents in particular. Uh, and looking at his his matchups the rest of the way, he's got, like I said, he has Arizona tonight, but that one's basically over. Um, but he's going to get the Royals again, which is, you know, despite the fact that he struggled with them a bit his last time out, that is a good matchup for him. He should have the Royals uh, next weekend. He's going to bypass the Red Sox. So the Red Sox are coming to Seattle, but I believe he is going to miss them because they, with their rotation which means he would be at the Royals, at the Athletics, then home for the Athletics. Uh, and he may or may not have a se- uh, an end-of-season matchup with the Angels. It depends how the rotation plays out. But th- those matchups for him are, are, are pretty good. I mean, Kansas City is not a particularly good offense. Oakland is a good team, but pitching at Oakland is a great place to pitch. Depending on how he does through there, maybe the home game against Oakland isn't as exciting to you, but... I really like what he's done. He is, you know, if you're looking for a guy who can go deep, get you some extra innings on top of just pitching decently. Um, the downside is he's not going to strike out a bunch of dudes. So if if you're, you know, if you're in a roto league and you're chasing in strikeouts, or if you're in a head to head league and you're trying to pick someone up to get you strikeouts this week, like that's that's not the guy to do it. Good. Low rates, high quality innings, a lot of innings, good shot at quality start, good shot at a win. He's a good pickup. And he is looking around. He's 74.7% rostered on Auto New, 81% on CBS, 72% on Yahoo. So he's not uh he's not everywhere, but he's he is available in a decent number of leagues. And at this point, again, like in I think you're gonna hear me say this a lot, like beggars can't be choosers. So like Marco Gonzalez is not gonna give you strikeouts, but like he's going to give you good things in these final two weeks and, and just take it and be happy with it. That schedule is a joke. I still like the matchup at Oakland. Oakland's competing for, for a playoff spot, but it's not an offense necessarily to avoid. And I think Chad, when we look at all four of my picks kind of fit this category. And I would say that Marco Gonzalez definitely fits this category of like veteran. Well, a couple of mine aren't veteran, but the pitchers, on contending teams, teams that are fighting for a playoff spot who like teams are going to need to lean on. Like I, I say a couple of my picks aren't, aren't, aren't veterans. Well, that'd be Tyler McGill and Luis Patino. And we don't need to dive into those right now, but Steven Matz, Jake Odorizzi, who are my two others and yours right here with Marco Gonzalez, those three guys, like I don't expect Odorizzi to go deep into outings, but Houston, Toronto and Seattle, they're 
they're in a, all of them are in the fight for their lives. Maybe not Houston. They're guaranteed a spot, but it's still, you know, they're going for seeding and everything else. Those three guys are going to be leaned on. And I think that's, that's important to note here because you're not going it, to, it's hard to find innings to stream, but those three, I think can give it to you. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about them getting bumped. They're not going to get shut down because they're trying to save their bullets for next year. Like those guys are going to go and that that's pretty valuable. Definitely. Definitely. So I threw out a couple of my names there. Um, I, I guess I can just quickly say Jake Odorizzi, just because maybe that raised some eyebrows because he I don't think he's a very good pitcher. I think he kind of fits this category, though, if it's the final two weeks, it's time to get desperate. I really like his schedule the rest of the way. He's going to be, if if he makes a start every five days, he's going to be at Texas, at home against Arizona, at the Angels, and then at home against Tampa Bay, which obviously isn't ideal, but Tampa Bay is like a million games up in the division. Maybe that's a game where they bench some guys. I don't know. It depends, I guess, on how close Houston is to them in the standings. He's never going to go six innings. He's not interesting in quality starts leagues at all, but he is on a great team. There's a good schedule coming up as we just went over. I was looking at his FIP, and obviously it's not good because, again, I don't think Jake Odorizzi is that great. So normally I wouldn't recommend streaming a guy just based on matchups, but like we talked about, it's the end of the year. Over the last month, though, it's a full run less, 3.77 is FIP, that is. It's just, it's time to get desperate. And so I look at Jake Odorizzi and I say, good team, gonna pitch, has a chance at some wins, occasionally will randomly strike out six guys in five innings. And he's hot at the moment, which I guess is the most important part. Yeah, that, that Tampa start at the end of the year could be super interesting because he is exactly, like, he's exactly the kind of guy that if you're Houston, you're you're not anxious to save him for the playoffs, right? So you're totally fine letting him go out there and throw one of the last couple games of the season, even if it means he can't go until game three or something of a division series. Tampa, on the other hand, may be resting guys. O- Odorizzi, I mean, Tampa, it's like weird. I don't know how they rest guys. They platoon everybody. So everybody on that roster is a starter. And so maybe Odorizzi gets hurt by the new uh, September call-up rules. Because if if Tampa had 40 guys on their roster, he might have been facing a whole team of AAA bats for that last start. But I think you could see a situation where like he faces a couple of guys. like He goes two innings against guys, and then Tampa starts to pull people, and he's facing guys who don't have the platoon advantage, and nobody's getting a third time through the order penalty again or advantage against him because nobody's making it to a third time through the order because Tampa's trying to keep guys rested and ready. Things could really work out real nice for him in that last start. And if he's going well in that last start, Houston's going to leave him out there to pitch because what you don't want to do in those last couple games is start burning your bullpen. And so there may be an opportunity for him to go a little bit deeper if he's starting to face some guys who are coming off the bench and if Houston wants to, you know, keep their, their pen rested. I like that. That's a good call. So who's another one of yours, Chad? So let's go to someone who's a little bit more widely available. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about two guys at once. One of whom is more widely available. One of whom isn't Um, Antonio Senzatella with the Rockies. He is only 27% rostered in auto new 27% rostered in CBS, 22% rostered in Yahoo. He has a 3.67 FIP on the year, which <laughs> sort of shocked me. He's been legitimately very, very good. Much like the guy we talked about a moment ago, Marco Gonzalez, he doesn't strike a ton of people out. And that's probably why he's he's relatively unrostered despite the good stats. His ERA and FIP are both better at home than on the road, which seems really, really weird to me. 
but and it's the case. Um, I'm not going to bet on that continuing. His next start should be at Atlanta. Then he's going to be home for either the Dodgers or the Giants, or maybe both the Dodgers and the Giants. You know, I can't read my own notes. Isn't that, it it isn't even a handwriting issue. They're typed. I just can't (laughs) tell what I was saying. So I'm going to pull this up uh, and and I'm looking at the Rocky schedule now. So I believe he's supposed to face the Braves next Wednesday. He then would miss the road trip to the Nationals and come back and have the Dodgers. So this is what I said. I think he's going to face the Dodgers and the Giants at Coors before finishing up the season on the road at Arizona. If you can stream him for that Atlanta start and then drop him, uh, regardless of whether he's been better at home or on the road, like if he's been, the fact that he's been better at Coors is weird. But aside from that, you don't want him facing the Dodgers or Giants in Coors, anyways. Um, but if you can drop him for that stretch and then pick him back up to face Arizona on the road to end the season, I think that's real interesting. Guy who's not quite as available and has a slightly better schedule is his teammate, John Gray. So, John Gray. 85% rostered in auto new, 59% in CBS, only 23% in Yahoo. He goes the day before Senzatella. And while that doesn't seem like a big difference, what that means is he will get Atlanta next Tuesday and then have the Nationals, I believe, before they get back to the Dodgers. He will then have to face one of those teams in cores and then finish up with Arizona on the road. But it's only one core start against a great offense instead of two. And that's a pretty big advantage. So, you know, Gray, uh, 3.99 FIP on the year, but only 3.63 on the road. If you can grab him and get those road starts from him, uh, he could do some really nice things for you. He will get more strikeouts than Senzatella. Um, the, the reason I mentioned Senzatella at all, because it sounds like I'm saying, like, go get Gray. Why would you get Senzatella? Senzatella is a lot more available, right? If you're in an auto new league, you probably can't get John Gray. You probably can get Antonio Senzatella. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind. Um, If Gray is out there, he would be my choice of the two. If not, though, Senzatella is a a serviceable option for some of those weak opponents. I really like the Senzatella pick, particularly because of the weak opponents. I play in a lot of quality starts leagues and Chad, would you believe me if I told you that this year Antonio Senzatella has as many quality starts as Lance Lynn, Hyunjin Ryu, Jose Berrios, Joe Musgrove, Anthony Desclafani, and Logan Webb? I, I was just waiting a second to see if you were going to say combined or something, because <laughs> then I was going to be like, no, I don't believe that. Well, I believe you because I trust you, Pete, and I know you wouldn't lie <laughs> Thank to you. me. But uh, I, I am surprised by that number for sure. That's... And I and I I just looked at Sensitella, like I literally just looked at him today. I know that he goes deep into games. I know that he throws a lot of innings. I know that they lean on him. Um, I still wouldn't have guessed he was that high on the quality start list. But if you go deep into games and you have a three point six seven FIP, you're going to rack up quality starts. So I guess it shouldn't be that much of a surprise. And it is where the stri- the lack of strikeouts actually helps because we I think. In fantasy, there's no you can't you don't overrate strikeouts. They're super important. But I think in light in in, in baseball, we overrate strikeouts just a little bit because of what it does to that pitch count. But Sensatella rides a low pitch count into the seventh inning, um, and then that's obviously working in his favor. So I like both of those picks. I mentioned earlier this is this is one of your guys, Chad. I, I, I'm curious. It was your guy at the beginning of the year, and Steven Matz. He was one of my picks, especially for his schedule. He's going to be at Baltimore. 
then home against Minnesota, then at Minnesota. I mean, we can just stop right there. Those three matchups alone, regardless of everything else that, that's about to follow what I say, just take those guys. He then has the Yankees, uh, which which could definitely be a difficult matchup for him. Uh, but he's, he's written a, a low FIP in the year at 3.66. But since August, Chad, his ERA is under two and his FIP does follow that. It's it's in the twos. It's like two point two zero or something like that. It's been t- tremendous ground ball rate up around 50 percent and four quality starts since the start of August. And since the all star break, Minnesota, who he faces twice, once at home and on the road, is dead last in batting average against left handed pitchers barely hitting the Mendoza line at 201 against lefty since the all-star break. He's owned in a lot of leagues. I mean, it's 80% on Ott new 85 on CBS, which was weird, but only 56% on Yahoo. And I, and it's around there on ESPN. So I think he is available in some spots and he is absolutely worth it. I think down the stretch. It's really that, that stat on Minnesota is fascinating. Cause I did not realize I was thinking like they got Buxton back Buxton at home run tonight. Maybe they're starting to get, starting to get going again. Uh, and maybe they will still, right? I mean, there, there's still a lot of talent on that team, but man, that is, that is ugly from them. And it does like, it moves Matt's from being a guy who against Baltimore, even at Baltimore. Yeah. Please, I'll take that start for sure. Uh, but maybe I would move on before the Minnesota matchups. Now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, maybe I won't move on. Maybe there aren't. As, maybe there isn't a better option out there. Uh, so he's that's fascinating to me. I did not know Minnesota was having that bad a stretch against lefties, and Matt's is is the perfect guy to take advantage. Yeah, yeah, he's been uh, he's been pretty awesome. So Chad, I think we definitely have time to to get to one more of yours before we hop into the odd new question of the day. So who's one more? Or two or three, wherever you want to take it. Uh, help the people. This is this is the most crucial time. So I actually do not want to limit our help to our faithful listeners. So I think the the last name I want to talk about is I'll talk about uh, Vladimir Gutierrez only because I want to pick someone else who's below 50% in auto new. He's 45.6% in auto new, 71% in CBS, 41% on Yahoo. Wow. It's interesting. Sometimes I look at these numbers. It's like, why is he so low rostered in auto new? So high at 71% in CBS and low in Yahoo. I bet without knowing somebody at CBS wrote an article talking him up. And so people who play on CBS saw that and, that's that's the only thing I can think of. But his last seven starts, he has a 3.44 ERA, 3.71 FIP, 3.77 XFIP, almost a strikeout per inning, less than two walks per nine. That's a that's a pretty good run over seven starts. His next start is at Pittsburgh. And I honestly, I've been thinking about this. I don't know if there's a matchup I like better for a starting pitcher than at Pittsburgh. <laughs> Maybe at Texas, given how bad that offense is and how much of a pitcher's park that's proven to be, but Pittsburgh's a pretty great landing spot. Um, then it gets a little bit interesting because he has Pittsburgh again, but in Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati, obviously a very power-friendly park, a little bit of a tougher call, but again, Pittsburgh, I'm still probably willing to take a shot with him against Pittsburgh. He is then likely to pitch at Chicago 
uh, against the White Sox, but there's a chance that he will end the season at Pittsburgh again. So with Gutierrez, I'll start him. If he gets three starts against Pittsburgh, I will take all three of those very happily. If he is pitching in Chicago on the south side for one of those starts, uh, I will not be starting him in that park against that offense. I will very gladly leave him on my bench or cut him for another streamer. Gutierrez, I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think he has a lot of keeper value, but that la- that stretch of seven starts, I mean, if he keeps that up, he is going to be the kind of guy who goes into the offseason where people are like, man, his last 10 starts of the season, he had like a 3.5 FIP or something if he dominates Pittsburgh a couple times. And so he may have some keeper or some trade value in the offseason. Uh, but right now, I would just I would ride that schedule and that hot streak he's on. Yeah, that stretch of eight quality starts and nine outings was was remarkable and completely out of nowhere. I mean, this was a guy with with no expectations at all. So, Chad, that that yeah. takes us to the odd new question of the day. It's it's more kind of off season focused as we begin to wind down here. So, let's say your team needs a lot of work. You're one of these rebuilding squads. One of your extreme, whatever the case, you got a lot of work to do on this team. And you're keeping somewhere between 25 and 30 guys. And 25, from what I saw in that one auction that we've done, would be a really low amount of, of keepers. So you, you you got a lot of roster spots to fill and you got a lot of work to do. How much money do you, do you like to have going into the auction when you are in a rebuild? Yeah, I mean, so if you're keeping, if your team's really going into a rebuild, right, and been that bad, and you're still keeping 25 to 30 guys, um, they better be inexpensive because your team isn't good. <laughs> and so if you're keeping 25 to 30 guys and it's costing you a lot to do it, like then you're coming back with the same team you just had that wasn't good. Now, in a rebuild, I would expect you to be coming back with 25 to 30 guys. And a lot of them are like five bucks or less because they're prospects or guys you traded for. They're young, whatever it is. And that's fine. The way I try to think about budget is less about how much do I need overall and more about based on what I have available, how do I think I can build a lineup? And so I've actually started doing this for a couple of teams recently uh, where I am identifying who I think my keepers are. I'm pulling up one of my my spreadsheets here that I use for for League One, where I was just talking about how Trout's available, and I was trying to figure out how he fits in. So I went through and I looked at my team, and I identified that on that team I had 22 guys that, at first glance, I think are keepers, and that they total 266 dollars uh, after I make an assumption of arbitration money coming my way. That leaves me if I take a 60 dollar Trout into the off season. Then I looked and said, okay, I could still spend 30 bucks on a util bat. I could still spend another $22, $23 on like four or five more outfielders, like a $10 outfielder and some cheap outfielders to try to fill out my outfield a little more. I need a backup first baseman. I need another middle infielder. This is what I can spend on those. And I put that budget together and try to give myself a sense of like, can I, with the money I have available, build a contender? And I'll be honest, I'm struggling looking at this team right now because the team I'd be looking at building would be... So I've got three cheap catchers in Travis Darno, Eric Haas, and Dalton Varsho. I'm assuming I'm keeping all three of them right now. I probably won't keep all three of them. Uh, but that team would have one or two of those guys a catcher. 
Hoskins at first, Altuve at second, Cronenworth at short, a Josh Rojas, Josh Harrison platoon at middle infield, Yandy Diaz at third base, and then my outfield would be Soto, Trout, Winker. And then I would have about, like I said, about 30 bucks to spend on a util bat. I would have about $10 to spend on a fourth outfielder, about $5 in a fifth outfielder, plus some cheap outfield bench bats. And I'd be going in with a rotation of Gaussman, Montes, Mize, Marquez, Rodon, Fromber, and Whitlock, and very little to spend on pitching beyond that. And I don't know that that is enough. And so when I look at that, I'm like, okay, well, now I'm not sure I really can keep all these guys I want to keep. And maybe I can't actually keep Trout at that price. And I have to rethink that. Or maybe Hoskins at 25 bucks actually isn't a keeper, even though I really think he's worth it non-base leagues. Um, so I'm going to have some decisions to make to make sure that by the time I get to the auction, I actually can build a team. So to me, it's less about, oh, I'm keeping 25 guys, so I need to have $170 open. It's more based on the $25, 25 guys I'm keeping. Can I, can I create a budget that works? Now, when I get to the auction, and we can talk about this a lot more in the off season. When I get to the auction, I try to avoid being stuck to a budget. So when I say here, like, oh, I could spend $10 on my next outfielder and then $5 on one more outfielder, $30 on a util bat. I try to instead think of it as like, I kind of want a $30-ish bat. I kind of want a $10-ish bat. Like They need to fit together into a lineup, but I don't try to get bogged down into like, I'm going to spend $30 at util and then $10 outfield. Because maybe I find a $10 util and a $30 outfielder, and that's a better use of money. Maybe I find two guys for 20 bucks, and that's a better use of money. Um, But I can start to paint a picture using that budget of like, okay, if I found these guys at these prices, is that enough? Is that good enough? Look around at what a $30 util bat looks like in this league. Is that going to put me over the top? Um, And that's how I sort of, that's how I do it. So I'm less concerned about like, oh, I need $100, I need $150, I need $200. Like I'm less concerned about that. I'm more concerned about if I'm keeping these guys, what kind of roster is that? And, and do I have the money to complement that roster the right way? And if I don't, then I start to look at some of these guys that I'm thinking of keeping. It's like, maybe I don't keep that guy. Maybe I trade that guy instead of keeping him and try to reshape the team. Uh, and that's how I that's how I plan for it. No, that's that's awesome. I I I so agree with being the being flexible, right? And I, I I see that all the time, and even just general draft prep, not necessarily just auction. Is it the people who? Here's my plan. I'm going to take pitcher, pitcher, and then I'll take all my hitters. Well, if Jose Ramirez falls to you at, at pick 13, are you still going to take a pitcher? <laughs> like I, I, that lack of flexibility kind of bothers me. So I I, I would never want to go into my auction thinking like, nope, $30 at utility. It has to be that because drafts, auctions, they're so finicky. They're, they're unpredictable. You have to be hard to predict. They really are. You got to be flexible. Yeah. So what I would say to you to, to answer your question is if you're looking at your team where you think you're keeping 25 to 30, I would, I would start like build a depth chart, right? Take some time, calculate how much, what's your budget going to be? Cause you're going to know you're going to have each of those guys is going to go up by $2 unless they've played zero major league games this year, in which case they go up by one. Add that up. Assume you're going to get 
something like $25 of arbitration hitting you. Uh, that's the average amount a team gets. Some teams get, you know, as little as, I think you can get as little as 12 and as much as, thir- or as little as 11 and as much as 33. About an average, it'll be 25. So you can, you can throw that down and say, okay, let's assume I get $25 of arbitration on me. I keep these guys at this price increase. Um, and then can I, you know, can I use the rest of the money I have left over and build a team that I think is capable of contending? And if the answer is no, then that structure is not going to work and you need to figure out how you can either clear up more money. Uh, and sometimes that becomes obvious, right? You build a depth chart and you're like, oh, I'm keeping five like decent middle infielders and I would much rather spend money to get in a, like, I feel like I have to buy an elite middle infielder anyways, because five decent middle infielders isn't going to get it done. So I might as well trade or cut one or two of these guys to clear some more space. Or trade them not to clear space, but to fill another spot, right? So like going back to what I was looking at for my League One, maybe I decide that a middle infield of Altuve, Cronenworth, Rojas, and Harrison isn't going to get it done. But I can trade Harrison for uh, a $5 outfielder who I think can be my fourth outfielder instead of a $10 outfielder. And now I've, I haven't cleared any money officially, but what I have done is I've changed the shape of my team such that my budget can go further. Interesting. Right? Because instead of feeling like, oh, I need 10 bucks for a fourth outfielder, now I've got a fourth outfielder. I don't need to spend any money there. So that's $10 I freed up to spend somewhere else. And I have to then replace Harrison, perhaps. But maybe I feel like I can replace Harrison with like a $2 middle infielder just to have some depth, and that's okay. And so now all of a sudden, I've got $8 to spend that I didn't before. Uh, and so like those kinds of things, like that's what how I start to use that depth chart and that budgeting is to try to figure out like, what can I do to just shave a couple dollars here and there to make a little bit more space to stretch this budget so that this group of keepers is enough? And if I really can't do that, if I hit a point where I'm like, there's just no way I can turn this into a winner, then I start tearing it down, right? Then I start to trade my expensive Soto, my expensive Trout for future value and just say, forget it, starting over. Um, it doesn't usually come to that, but it, it could. And then you always have those options because you have those, you know, ideally you have those, those highly priced pieces that you can move. It's kind of like that, you know, don't push the big red button, but sometimes, sometimes you have to. And I think it's, it's definitely a good time to also plug the, the, um, I'm sorry, I just had the roster organizer feature of Ought New. Um, as, as I begin to prepare and think along the lines of the auction, I'm looking at my, my thing right now, I don't actually have to cut anybody. I can just put it into this. And I, right now I have $191 spent out of a $400 budget. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot of money at this auction. I, chat. I would just remember that that 191 does not include salary increases. Yeah. So if you're keeping, let's say 25 guys, you've got about 50 bucks. You need to account for there. Some of them are prospects and they won't, they'll only cost you $1 instead of two. So if 25 guys, maybe you have $47 instead sure. of 50, but something like that. And you're going to get hit with arbitration somewhere in the $25 range. You can though, in the roster organizer, there is a, there's a functionality to add targets. I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, you can do things at the top. So at the very top of the roster organizer, there's a thing that says miscellaneous expenses for arbitration, inflation, etc. Mm-hmm. If you know you are keeping 25 guys that are going to cost you $47 in inflation and you're expecting $25 in arbitration, you can plug in a 72 there 
right? 47 for increases, 25 for ARB, and it will add it to your roster. And so then when you look at your totals, it'll reflect that. Awesome. If you if you want to start to do the kind of budgeting that I'm talking about, you can go in and if you leave a position blank, so like if you're like, oh, I know I'm going to need a starting outfielder. If you have a blank outfield spot in your roster organizer, there's a link where the player's name would be that says click to add a target. And when you click that, you can add a player name and a budget. Now, I don't usually add player names because I don't want to get myself bogged down in like, this is the guy I'm going after. But I will type in fourth outfielder $10 and start to use that to piece together what is that budget going to look like. Because then you can look at it all and add it up and say, oh, how about that? I've got, I filled out my roster. I feel good about what this could look like. And I have $20 left over. You're in a good place. Um, but you want to take advantage of that because what you don't want to do is get in the mindset of like, oh, I'm only keeping $191. Then all of a sudden on October 4th, that 191 turns into 241 because all the increases happen. And on November 15th, the arbitration dollars hit you and it goes from 241 to 275. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? I wasn't expecting that. And it's like, that money's coming. So plan for it. Awesome. Yeah, that is such a such a great tool. And I'm sure there's been an odd new question of the day about it already, but we'll, we'll definitely have one during the off season really to get people prepared to use that tool and, and to plan out their auction. But uh, Chad, I think that puts a cap on the John Lester episode. The John Lester episode. <laughs> so- well, while we're calling it the John Lester episode, I will throw out here as we're on our way out the door, you you had mentioned briefly Tyler McGill and Luis Patino as two of your other potential streamers. I had Carlos Hernandez from the Royals on my list as a guy who's under 75% rostered in, in most places. Uh, other names I looked at, Ryan Yarborough, who has not been very good, but can be at times. Ronaldo Lopez, who's been very good lately, but not going very deep into games. Eric Lauer, who's looked really good for Milwaukee. Tuki Toussaint has been hot and cold. Um, those are just some other names of guys who are potential streamers, maybe not as exciting as some of the other guys we mentioned. Uh, but on our way out the door, some more names for you to look into on your own. Ask us about on Twitter, whatever, that you can at least consider as you're trying to figure out who is going to get those final starts and try to put you over the top. I, I, I love those suggestions. That's going to do it from us. Please make sure you give us a follow at, at keep or cut on Twitter. Give us a rating. Give us some feedback. Give us all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, um, hear what we're doing, get some questions from you that we can talk about on the show, particularly during the off season as you know the content can run dry. You guys got to keep us going here. If you want to reach out to us individually, though, um, please follow Chad at, at Chad Young. He's going to continue to push out awesome content at PitcherList. You could follow me at, at Pete B Baseball if you want to read me blathering about the Red Sox. But anyway, thanks for listening for the to the John Lester episode 31, and we hope to see you next week. <laughs>